0: Lead to Win is brought to you by Leaderbox, a monthly reading experience curated by leaders for leaders. Learn more at leaderbox.com.
1: To begin today's program, I want to share a story with you, and it's a story from my childhood, and it begins in an unlikely place, South Korea. My dad, Robert Hyatt, served in the United States Marine Corps in the early 1950s, and that was during the height of the Korean War. And it was a a conflict that cost over a million lives, 36,000 Americans, by the way, who were wounded or left dead or had permanent disabilities. My dad served as a gunner on a tank. And in that role, one of the things he had to do was periodically clean the tank. So he and one of his buddies were out on the tank one day uh, cleaning the gun when there was an incoming missile that uh, blew up and my dad got hit with some shrapnel. And... It knocked him out. In fact, he was in a coma for months. His buddy was killed and it altered his life in a very dramatic way because it was a very severe hit injury and it's left him with a limp that he walks with to this day. Well, as a young boy, I didn't know anything about the war. I didn't know anything about the injury. You know, I just wasn't old enough to be aware of that. But what happened was that I started inadvertently walking with a limp myself. So much so that my mom finally, when I was about five years old, called me aside, put her arm around me and said, Michael, is there a reason why you're walking with a limp? Did you hurt yourself? And I said, no. And she said, and she kind of figured it out. She said, oh, so you're walking with a limp because dad walks with a limp? And I said, yeah, I guess. I mean, I wasn't even conscious of it. But looking up to my dad as the model of adult manhood, I thought that's what men do. They limp. And so my mom said, son, you don't have to limp. Your dad is that way because of a war injury that he got. And so she explained it to me. Well, I probably kept walking with a limp for a while after that, but eventually I realized that, um, you know, that that wasn't something I had to continue to do. Well, that early experience really shaped what I've come to believe about leadership And it's proven true throughout my life. And it's this, whether you realize it or not, you're going to reproduce yourself in those around you. And though I no longer walk with a limp, my dad's character, his resilience, his lifelong commitment to my mom, his positive outlook on life, and his unbridled curiosity about literally everything has profoundly shaped who I am. And I really think this is a lesson that all leaders can benefit from. For better or worse, you're going to replicate yourself in your organization. The only question is whether you'll do it intentionally. Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt.
2: And I'm Megan Hyatt Miller.
1: And this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast to help you win at work, succeed at life, and lead with confidence. And in this episode, we're going to talk about leadership and the law of replication, And I'm gonna show you why it's vital for leaders to model the behaviors they wanna see in others.
2: This is the second of two episodes on character. So if you missed last week's discussion, be sure to download it. Today, we're gonna explore the law of replication, which simply states that you get what you model. We'll share four reasons why every leader must consistently model good character. Plus, we'll have a brief visit from Christian Miller, author of The Character Gap. And we'll wrap up the program with some practical tips for creating a culture of integrity in your organization. So, Dad, first of all, let me say that I love that story about you and Pappy.
1: It's interesting how this happens, whether you're aware of it or not. Right. And for good or for bad. Right. Right? So what is good about your character is going to be replicated. What's bad about your character is going to be replicated. And you have to look no further than your own children to see this. I
2: was going to say, man, (laughs) if you want to just test whether or not this is true, just look at your kids. It's like, you know... When my son says a bad word from the back seat, where do you think he got it? <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Not that, that would happen, but not you're that, saying that theoretically. would
2: happen, yeah. Theoretically.
1: <laughs> yeah. So you know, this is one of those things where if we can be intentional about it, we have suddenly a powerful tool mm-hmm. to shape culture. Right. And I think it's one of the things that as leaders we need to harness. And woe to the leader. Who is not aware of what's happening. Absolutely. Because I've seen this happen in many organizations too. It's how culture is created. Yeah. It's nothing more, like Larry Bossidy says, it's nothing more than the behavior of its leaders. That's what
2: culture is. Right. And it happens more often than not that it's unconscious. So there's a real advantage if you're able to kind of bring it into the forefront of your mind and create it intentionally, then you have the chance to create something really great. Well, you've identified four reasons why every leader should model good character. So let's go ahead and talk about the first one.
1: Yeah, the first one is this. Character has consequences. I mean, there's something about our culture right now that tries to dismiss this. Yeah. That acts as if competence is enough. But character does matter. Mm -hmm. You know, one is a little bit uh, of a longer play. Right, character? Yeah. Because sometimes things, you can can sacrifice character in the short term as long as you're competent, but it eventually catches up with you. And so as we go back to the last episode where we were talking about the definition from the character gap that Christian Miller made the point there that good character is when you do the right thing, so be kind or generous or whatever, Mm -hmm. in the right way, in other words, with integrity or humility, for the right reason, for others, not self-gain. All the time, consistently, even when no one sees or there's nothing to gain. Hmm. Now that is a very high bar.
2: It is a very high bar. I thought when you were sharing that, man, that's enough to keep you busy for a while.
1: It is. Recently, we had a chance to talk with Christian, and he said more about what character is and why it's important.
0: Our character is our moral fiber. It's what leads us to think, feel, and act in morally relevant ways first of all, I think it really matters to individual people to develop good character. This is true for a number of reasons. One is that character actually benefits us. So the better your character, research studies have found, the more likely your quality of life will improve. So for example, when gratitude goes up, life satisfaction goes up. Anxiety goes down. When hope goes up, worrying about the future goes down. So there are these correlations between good character traits and actually living a better life. So it's in our self-interest, it helps us. There's more to it than that, besides just benefiting ourselves. Good character actually makes a positive difference in the world. Wouldn't you wanna live in a world and in a society and work for a company where people are honest, trustworthy, they don't cheat or lie or steal behind your back? Think about how important it would be to a company to have employees who are honest, trustworthy, and loyal, that contributes so much to the health of that company, to the flourishing of that company, and not just um, because it avoids corruption or getting in trouble, but because it just creates a healthy environment where people can enjoy coming to work, not have to worry about uh, bad behavior that's going on behind the scenes.
1: Yes, yeah, so one of the fascinating things about what Christian said is that character has personal consequences. Mm-hmm. And there were a series of recent studies that demonstrate that people who display greater character strengths have greater satisfaction in their relationships, greater coping skills in the workplace, higher productivity, better exercise habits... And greater resilience, all yeah. from character.
2: That's amazing. I also loved what he said about the impacts to the organization. Yes. Because when, when he was talking about character, I thought, you know, what, what good character does on the part of leadership for the team and the part of the team to the leadership is it creates an environment of trust. And when people have an environment of trust... Both directions, they feel safe. And when people feel safe, they perform well. And so I think that character is important, not just because it's right, but because it's also effective at building a sense of felt safety and trust in an organization.
1: Yeah, great point.
2: Conversely, uh, negative behavior or lack of character impacts everyone in an organization. Think of that crazy story of the CEO of Theranos. And by the way, I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that correctly. but Act like
1: you're saying it right.
2: Theranos. Yeah. That's how I would say it if it was my own name, but <laughs> I, I'm glad it's not my own name because it didn't go well. Um, she was charged with fraud. This startup blood testing company claimed to have a revolutionary technology. I remember right. when this was all taking to- off and I was so pumped because she was a young female leader and I thought it was amazing. So basically the SEC charged her along with the top executives in her company of exaggerating or making false statements about the technology that they supposedly developed that was so revolutionary, which apparently was not in the end, and also their financial performance. In the end, her net worth was estimated at the beginning of that project in 2014 at $4.5 billion, billion. billion, And by 2016, it was zero. Yeah,
1: I mean, that's what you t- call a bad day in the stock market.
2: Talk about a fall from grace. Oh my gosh. I mean, that was rough.
1: So that story shows kind of the inseparable link between Uh, character, and even something as practical as your finances, right? Right. There's going to be repercussions in the real world. Yeah. Uh, Benjamin Franklin once said, well done is better than well said.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And it's a very good point.
2: It is a very good point. So what do you think um, are the reasons why it's so tempting for people to ignore this law of replication and to sort of dismiss that character matters?
0: Well, I think
1: in one sense, people just aren't even aware of it. You know, they mm-hmm. they don't understand this dynamic when it's happening. It's largely invisible. I mean, in our own organization, there are probably people that, like it or not, pick up some of my mannerisms, some of the cadences of my speech. I mean, I've seen it happen in organization after organization. Right. You know, certain vocabulary that we use inside with our team. Yeah. Certain ways that we express ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. You know, because it's culture. And that's how culture shows up. And one of the things about culture is it's a little bit like uh, fish swimming in the water; they're unaware of their environment. Mm-hmm. And replication is a culture-producing phenomenon, so a lot of leaders are unaware of it.
2: Yeah, I think we're also just obsessed with success, and we're in a, we live in a time and a culture that values success and achievement above everything else. And so, unless you've been trained or you know we're raised with kind of a moral compass around this stuff. It, it's not a natural part of something that you would consider as a part of success.
1: Yeah. And in fact, we're encouraged to separate them. Right. You know, it's almost like the character, you know, what somebody does in their personal life shouldn't matter. You know, as long as they're delivering the goods right. and performing successfully, then we can dismiss or ignore those things of personal character. But unfortunately, personal character has a way of becoming public and in a way that's usually ugly and has consequences for everyone.
2: Right. Well, the things that enable you to make uh, good or bad decisions in your personal life probably aren't different from the things that inform your decision making in a professional context.
1: Exactly. And if you betray people in your personal life, you're probably going to betray them in your public life.
2: Okay, so that was reason number one for leaders to set a good example, which is that character has consequences. What's reason number two? Uh,
1: the leader sets the tone for the organization. And again, this modeling is not always formal. You know, It's not like you, you go in and you say, here's how I'm going to talk. Right. Here's what I'm going to believe. Here's how I'm going to express myself. But it's more often caught than taught. Mm-hmm. So take the example of Amazon. You remember this back in 2015? Mm-hmm. There was a New York Times article that showed uh, the culture as, or described it as, bruising. Mm-hmm. Late night meetings and emails were common, reports of adults crying after meetings. Oh my gosh. And the company seemed bent on pushing employees to get more and more done. Mm-hmm. And that's not the result of one rogue manager. Right. That's the tone at the top. That's the culture that's coming down from the top. Now, I don't know if you read any of the follow-up articles, but there were a lot of Amazon employees that denied that that was happening. Huh. And you know, who really knows? I mean, right. I wasn't there, but I think it still illustrates the point. Sure. You know, It's the tone at the top. That's going to set the tone for the entire organization. And by the way, that's how you fix these problems. It has to be fixed at the top. If you're in an organization Where the culture is adverse, you can still affect it below you. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've done this personally myself, but it's a lot easier if the people at the top will take responsibility, realize their impact, and begin to change their behavior.
2: We were actually uh, coaching someone in one of our activation workshops last week I believe and we were talking about this very thing which there, somebody was talking about a person on their team who wouldn't take time off and it was really frustrating to her you know she was trying to figure out how to lead this person I remember that you know to, to get uh, her to take more time off and we were just talking about the fact that if you as the leader are not modeling that yourself that you will never have people on your team do something that you don't give yourself. That's right. Permission to do in the positive. You know, for example, if you are checking emails on your vacation, they'll assume that's what you expect. If you don't take PTO, they'll assume that that's what you expect. If you stay at the office till 7 p.m., they'll assume that's what you expect. So you have to set the pace. Your Whatever behavior you allow in yourself is a communication of what you expect from your team.
1: Well, certainly that's how they interpret it. Right. You may not be aware of it, but that's how they interpret it.
2: And it doesn't really matter what you mean. It only matters what you communicate.
1: Totally. So if you're always late to meetings, right. or if you sit in meetings and don't take notes, right, mm-hmm. or if you sit in a meeting and you're on your uh, smartphone yeah. the entire time, right, like I remember being in meetings like that with uh, people that were one time on my board, mm-hmm. and literally they're on their smartphones the entire time. We're making a presentation, and then 20 minutes into the presentation, they ask a question that was answered in the very first uh, few minutes of the presentation, simply because. They were sidetracked on their smartphone.
2: Right. It communicates such disrespect. And it those does. are the little areas where you're creating your culture. And if you're not careful, they will build a culture that you never intend. Exactly. So, Dad, talk specifically about how here at Michael Hyde and Company, our leadership team has modeled a few of our core values, including unyielding integrity, prioritizing people, infectious enthusiasm, and highly responsive.
1: Yeah, you well, know, I think, again, it begins with us as the leaders of the company. Mm-hmm. But for example, with unyielding integrity, and by the way, what integrity is from our definition is that we make our actions line up with our words. Right. So that if we make a promise to our customers or make a commitment to a vendor, that we fulfill that even if it's difficult, inconvenient, expensive. Mm-hmm. So for example, when we shipped the first edition of the Full Focus Planner, one of the things we realized is that we weren't going to meet the shipping deadline and our customers weren't going to get the planner in time for the quarter uh, start. Right. So we had to make the decision. And by the way, this, this was not our fault. This wasn't even the printer's fault. It went back to a supplier way up in the food chain somewhere. Mm-hmm. But as a result, we were late delivering, or at least there was a the threat of us being late yeah. delivering this planner to our customers. So we made the decision to incur about 40 I don't know, $50,000 worth of priority shipping costs in order to fulfill the promise that we had made. Yeah. So we were committed to making our actions line up with our words, even though it was expensive.
2: Right. And that's like not money we ever got back. I mean, that was- no, that's right. That was a true cost that we had to incur. Yeah. I
1: mean, and we didn't even tell our customers right. that. I mean, we right. didn't say, oh, you know, like, like we're doing something heroic. No, we were just fulfilling what we had committed ourselves to do.
2: Yeah, I love that story. I didn't love it, honestly, at the time, but I I love it now, you know, in retrospect, because what I think has happened for our people is that now becomes kind of like a guidepost when they're thinking about future issues that come up, you know, it's sort of like, well, we did it back then that we were willing to really put ourselves out there and incur some consequences to honor our word. And so we're going to keep doing that, you know, it really sets the standard and it's part of our cultural memory at this point. Yep. I want to pause for just a minute to talk about something that we're really excited here about at uh, Michael Heiden Company.
1: Uh, The Full Focus Planner is a paper planner. Yes, a paper planner, analog, (laughs) throwback, but it's designed to link your big yearly goals with your day-to-day tasks. Mm -hmm. And in our consulting and coaching practice, what we found with our clients is they often set goals, but they don't have a way to make those operational. They don't have a way uh, where the rubber meets the road that they can actually put it on their task list and make daily meaningful progress towards their goals. But the full-focus planner is designed to help you do that and to keep you productive every day. Each of these planners is outfitted for a 90-day cycle. So basically one planner per quarter. Love that. And if you get an annual subscription, you can get four planners a year, one for each quarter, and they're shipped to you automatically. So it's a big deal when you get yeah. your planner. You know, it's just like we call it an activation trigger, but just uh, a prompting to plan that quarter, to identify what you want to accomplish, and then to actually begin to implement that. And that's honestly the best way to do it. It's also cheaper if you get the annual subscription. Now, you can buy an individual planner if you want, but both options come with a 30-day money-back guarantee. All you need to do is go to fullfocusplanner.com and pick the option that's right for you.
2: So reason number two for leaders to model good character is that the leader sets the tone for the organization. So let's move on to the third reason, Dad.
1: Yeah, the third reason is this. People do what you do regardless of what you say. In other words, your actions are much louder than your words. So true. So I used to work for this guy um, who insisted on punctuality and starting his meetings on time. And I would go to my meetings with him, and I swear, he would keep me waiting 15, 30, 45 minutes outside what? of the office. Yeah. And and he would always make this big speech when he had his meetings that you had to be there on time. And I did that. I was there on time. But then I noticed over time that everybody got sloppy with the starting times right, of their meetings. Because he
2: wasn't going to be there to notice. Right.
1: This is where I first learned to hate meetings. Right. Right? Because of one leader's sloppy practice, because he wasn't doing what he said and he insisted that other people do it. But that's not how it works. Mm -hmm. People do what you do. So this plays out in large and small ways. Promptings at meetings, which I mentioned, taking unplugged time off, Mm -hmm. following expense reporting procedures, being responsive to messages, valuing the customer or how you treat the customer. All this stuff People on your team are watching, right? and they're taking their cues from you, not from your words, but what you actually do. If you need proof, there was this study published by the University of Nebraska that examined the impact of teacher behavior on students' learning and their well-being, and that it found that negative teacher behavior negatively impacted student outcomes. Positive teacher behavior correlated to higher achievement in students, and this included students' effective responses, things like worry. And anxiety. Mm. I mean, every parent knows this, right? And it's true at work, also.
2: I think you're right. So that made me think about um, one of the most common issues of character, which is uh, hypocrisy. You know, where, like you said, your boss will uh, say or was saying one thing to you about punctuality and then held himself to a different standard. So, how do you think that really breeds cynicism in an organization?
1: Well, because people see the gap. They see the gap between your word and your actions, and they go, those two things don't line up. And there's just sort of this visceral reaction that all of us have to that. And it, it happens in the public places. It happens in work. But we see it as hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. And it just makes us cynical. I mean, people start thinking that's how all leaders are. You know, that's how all corporate CEOs are. That's how all politicians are.
2: Anybody with power, basically. That's right.
1: Yeah. Because they don't have to do what they say they're going to do. Right. They can enforce or coerce the rest of us. They don't actually have to keep it. But when you do meet a leader who does their best to live up to what they say they believe or what they value, that has an impact on people.
2: Hmm. I agree. That's a really good point that you just made, that there's no external force that requires good character. you know. This is really an issue of self-leadership. It's not something that anyone else is holding you to. I mean, your team is, um, but you don't have to do it. I mean, it it is literally a choice about how you want to behave and if you're going to behave in a way that has integrity with great character. And the decision is really, are you going to exercise self-leadership or not?
1: Yeah, it's really true. Because
2: nobody's going to make you do it.
1: When I became the CEO of Thomas Nelson, one of the things that Sam Moore, my predecessor, said to me, he said, before you make any decision... Ask yourself the question, if this were printed in the New York Times tomorrow, how would you feel about it? And it's a good litmus test. But at the same time, I don't think that should be the standard that drives us. You know, in other words, if this becomes public, how will I feel? Right. There ought to be an inner compass that we do it even when nobody's looking. So even if this never gets out, this is my standard of behavior, this is what I'm holding myself to. Mm -hmm. So regardless.
2: And the truth is, those are going to be most of your decisions. Most of your decisions, there's very little threat that they'll become public. And mostly no one's going to hold you accountable except yourself. And it's really going to be the cumulative effect of all your choices over time that defines your character and that create the culture of your organization.
1: Yeah, that's a good point.
2: So far, we've talked about three reasons for a leader to model good character. Character matters, the leader sets the tone for the organization, and people do what you do regardless of what you say. Now, I'm a little curious about the fourth one, especially the word nearly, dead."
1: Yeah, the law of replication is nearly impossible to break. So this is an example of, of what some call prudential wisdom. In other words, it's generally true. You nearly always get what you model. But there's hope for those who are trying to change, Mm -hmm. right? So if you're in a negative culture, be the exception. And I've got personal experience with this, where I've been in negative cultures, not just one time, but multiple times, and where you have the choice, either I'm gonna go with the culture or I'm gonna stand for something different and I'm gonna to try to model something mm-hmm. uh, different. And so last week we mentioned three ways to guard your character. We talked about developing a strong moral compass, we talked about seeking accountability, making one good choice at a time, but going against culture will be a test of your moral compass. In other words, you're not gonna have the external support that kind of forces you or encourages you to make the right decisions right. and exhibit the right character, but you need that support and that accountability. If you set a bad example, you can change. And it begins by acknowledging this to yourself. I mean, you got to get real. Mm-hmm. At some point, you've got to say, look, I have not exercised self leadership. You know, I've not always made the right decision for the right reasons. I've not always exhibited the right behavior. And I'm going to own that and apologize to others as needed. Mm-hmm. And some of the leaders that have had the biggest impact on me in my career have been leaders that have come to me voluntarily and apologized for mm-hmm. something. You know, acknowledge that that what they did was wrong, right? And not try to make excuses. Tell me how uh, they understand or they express empathy empathy that they know how that impacted me or the organization, and then to ask my forgiveness. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a powerful thing when it happens. hasn't happened too much, but my esteem for those people went way up when it did happen. Right. So you can begin behaving with integrity now. I guess that's the bottom line.
2: Okay. So along those lines, I'm thinking really practically. It seems like, um, you know, to contrast with your story about the boss who was always late to the meetings, is it helpful to set standards for yourself around your behavior that that are very particular? You know, for example, like I'll be on time to meetings. I don't accept for myself, um, you know, being late. Is it, is it helpful to almost like write a list of those things?
1: Totally. Yeah, and you can call these um, your behavioral standards mm-hmm. or your standards of compliance or just standards. Mm-hmm. But what are some of those non negotiables? I've called them that uh, before as well. The problem with leaders is this we get busy, uh, we've got a lot of pressure, and it's easy to start making excuses. Yeah. You know, I'm the exception. And Every leader that I've met that has got into trouble, and I've published a couple of autobiographies of leaders that got into deep trouble.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: They said when they started treating themselves as an exception to the rule, that's when they started to wow, slide. so true. You know, like everybody else has to do this thing, but not me. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so everybody else we expect to not incur expenses, personal expenses, and put them in their expense report. But hey, I'm working extra hours, you know, I'm I deserve under more this. stress. Whenever this. you st- start having that attitude of entitlement, yeah. it's a slippery slope.
2: It is. So, can you give me some more examples of things in your own life, standards that you have your, for yourself that have helped to um, ensure that you kind of exercise good character?
1: Well, I mean, in this environment, I'm very uh, conscious of how I uh, treat the opposite sex. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to do anything that could be construed as uh, flirtatious or inappropriate whether it's in something I say or something I do.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: that's a standard I hold myself to.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So another one I have, another standard I have, is I never say anything negative about your mother in public. If I've got an issue with her, I talk to her privately. Yeah. I always speak well of her in public. Yep. And the great thing about that is, I mean, you know, because you've heard me do it, you know, I brag on her. Right. And it's, it's great adultery repellent. Mm-hmm you know because i mean it kind of puts everybody on notice that i'm very committed to my wife right that we've been married for 40 years and don't even think about it right so another one i have is um uh, a two drink rule so somebody told me early in my career and by the way some people don't drink some people drink way too much but i found that to have some limit some governor on what you're going to do just keeps you out of a lot of trouble right you know so that's just a rule that uh that i've always followed my entire career
2: well, if you think about stories that you hear about people, very often they get in trouble and they compromise their character after they've had too much to drink in a professional setting. You that's know, right. like it, that kind of goes back up your list to other issues. Um, you know, in terms of adultery or or whatever else. You basically want to be in a situation. I think this is what you're saying, where you have the benefit of your best thinking. You have your wits about you. You can make good decisions and not have that be compromised. And so that's what you're. Kind of uh, guideline for yourself is there that really helps that.
1: Yeah. So again, I think the point is you need to set standards for yourself. And those Mm -hmm. are just a few examples among many, but standards for yourself of how you're going to operate in the world and how you're going to show up and what you're going to do in public and what you're going to do with your team present. Mm -hmm. Because they are going to watch, they are going to replicate those things. And one of the things we didn't talk about, oftentimes they get amplified. Totally. Right. So if you're late five minutes, some people are going to take license to be late 10 minutes or 15 minutes, or 30 minutes, or whatever. And so you have to be very careful. I think you have to be tougher on yourself than you are even on the people that you work with.
2: Right, and you're very uh, strict with yourself on keeping your word. That's another thing that's really yeah. important to you. If you give somebody your word that you're gonna meet with them or um, you know be on a podcast or something like that, it's very important to you to follow through and to handle that with integrity. Same is true for being responsive, You know, to honor other people's time and to get them what they need. You always respond quickly. Yeah. Um, and I think those are two other things that came to mind as I was thinking of your standards. So those are just some good areas to think about If you're listening, what might your standards be? They don't have to be the same, but you need to be intentional about it Mm -hmm. so that you can hold yourself to a standard that's in alignment with your values.
1: Exactly. This kind of, by the way, goes back to values need to be descriptive, not prescriptive. You know, people talk a lot about corporate uh, culture and corporate Mm -hmm. values. And sometimes people make aspirational values like, we want to be like this. It's actually better if they describe how you are. Right. In other words, if you prioritize people, then that's a great corporate value to have. If you're committed to unyielding integrity in your personal life, that's a good corporate thing, but it's not good to have it an aspirational thing that you're not practicing. Here's why. That will create cynicism because people will look at that value and they'll say, well, you don't practice that.
2: Right. They'll see the gap. They'll see the gap. All right, so today we've talked about leadership and the law of replication, and we've learned that you get what you model. So every leader must set the example for character and culture in their organization. As we come in here for a landing, I just want to remind you that it's up to you. As a leader, you shape the culture around you. Be the change you want to see in your organization. Dad, do you have any final thoughts for us today?
1: Yeah, I do. I just was thinking how this all comes back to self-leadership. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Albert Schweitzer has this quote: example is leadership. Mm-hmm. If you can lead yourself, you're going to have an impact, a positive impact on other people. If you can't lead yourself, then all the communication tools, all the leadership tips and strategies aren't going to do you a lot of good. It comes back to being able to lead yourself and being the model, the prototype of what you're trying to build.
2: Couldn't agree more. As we close, I want to thank our sponsor, Leaderbox. It provides automated personal development in a box. Check it out at leaderbox.com. If you've enjoyed today's episode, you can get the show notes and a full transcript online at lead2.win.
1: Thanks again for joining us on Lead to Win. If you like the show, please tell your friends and colleagues about it. And also, please leave a review of the show wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: This program is copyrighted by Michael Hyatt & Company, all rights reserved. Our producer is Nick Jaworski.
1: Our writers are Joe Miller and Lawrence Wilson.
2: Our recording engineer is Mike Burns.
1: Our production assistant is Alicia Curry.
2: And our intern is Winston.
1: We invite you to join us for another episode next week when we'll discuss a revolutionary technology that you've got to implement in your leadership. Until then, lead to win.